Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are discussing Netflix's new sci-fi film, The Cloverfield Paradox, and an old favorite uh, and nominated for Best Picture this year, Jordan Peele's Get Out. We're also going to talk about Winchester. I, I, don't, I don't have much to say about it right now, but we'll get there. Um, first, we should discuss some weekly news to get us started. Joaquin Phoenix in talks to play the Joker in Todd Phillips' standalone movie. Now, Andy, you sent me... The, actually, you sent me all of these, to be fair. But I saw some of them throughout the week. Um, so, I, I think the headline pretty much says it. Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to play the Clown Prince of Crime, <laughs> Warner Brothers, and Todd Phillips' untitled Joker origin movie. Now, if I recall correctly, this Joker origin movie is supposed to be the origin of the Joker and is supposed to stand on its own, right? It's its own thing? Yeah, so it's, it's supposed to be separate from the DCEU, but... Um and be its own film and not be related to those. So you can still have Jared Leto playing his Joker and have this one kind of be outside of that. Right. Because everybody just wants more Jared Leto Joker. Um, exactly. There's a couple things to break down here. First, it's difficult to get Joker right in any medium. Well, uh, less in comics. It seems to be easier. Most people can go with it. But Joker really has only been done well a few times on screen. Now, it's only been done a few times on screen, so that means a lot. But I think a lot of people were disappointed with Joker in Suicide Squad. How'd you feel about him? Yeah, I, I mean, he was kind of a mix of of the Heath Ledger Joker and something else. And, you know, unfortunately, his role in that movie was just, like, kind of pointless. Like, if he wasn't in it, it it wouldn't really change the rest of the movie. It was, and Jared Leto was very upset by how much he was cut from, uh, from I guess they had a lot more footage. Right. Um. It's funny. I I didn't watch Suicide Squad. It's on my watch list. Um. I was looking at it just the other day because it's on HBO Go, and I was staring at the thumbnail and just thinking about it. Like maybe and I decided not to. <laughs> it's like it's like uh Batman it's, v Superman. Like I've tried to watch the movie like three times, and every time I get bored and I leave or it's, something. It's I can bad. never. It's bad. Yeah. And I mean, and you know, I I love comics. I love superheroes. I love it all. And I'm a DC fan and it just right. it, it's not good and and the thing is so i mean they have something like two or three more joker slash harley quinn films planned so it's just it's gonna be kind of overkill and it's not really it and he is a difficult character to write and this is what's interesting about this movie is that technically the joker doesn't really have an origin he technically makes it up every time you know right he, he has a famous quote of where he says you know if i'm gonna have a, a, a past or a history i prefer that it be multiple choice Mm-hmm. You know, and we get a little bit of that in the in the Dark Knight, um, we with the stories, the conflicting stories about how he gets his scars, right? You know, so that's kind of an homage uh, to that aspect of the J- Joker that he doesn't even know his origin, right? Part of the charm of the Joker is you don't know, right? You you right. don't you don't know, like that's that's part of what's fun about him, and it's, it kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter where the Joker came from. That's what's so intriguing about his character, I think. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of DC fans especially, are a little upset by, firstly, them not releasing the Zack Snyder cut, and secondly, the idea of a Joker origin movie. I, I think it's got potential. I do. Like, why not? Who am I kidding? If they came up with a Joker origin movie, I'd probably go see it. Yeah, definitely. Like, that, that intrigues me. It is interesting. Um, they're, they're talking to Joaquin Phoenix. And then first, this is one of those Hollywood things, I would presume, like, it's early talks. Yeah. He probably not, hasn't seen a, a script. Dundee. It's not a done yeah. deal yet. There's not a whole lot to it. The second thing that's interesting is Todd Phillips, because I didn't know this. Todd Phillips doesn't exactly have the most incredible film 
like repertoire filmography i guess was the word i was looking for there just to go over him real quick he directed road trip old school starsky and hutch the hangover one two and three due date and war dogs was his most recent one yeah so as far as the hangover goes the guy can tell an interesting story the first hangover okay like it was interesting you have these guys who are at the end of this kind of story and they have to walk their way back through the beginning it was told in a relatively intriguing way i'm like maybe there could be something there for the joker you know i don't know have him have him locked up in arkham or something and and have somebody in interviewing him uh, who knows i don't know how you would tell that story but it is weird that todd phillips is talking to Joaquin Phoenix, you know, like two two people who are seemingly in totally different cosmic spectrums of Hollywood about doing a Joker movie. It's strange, right? And what what else is interesting is that you can you can go so many different different directions with the Joker, and that's really what's interesting to see. You know, part of the reason that the the Chris Nolan Joker was so good is that it was completely different, even from the comic books. You know, like that Joker was very much about chaos. Whereas, like, the um, 1989 Batman is, like, he's a gangster. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's different ways you can go. And in Suicide Squad, it's a mixture of gangster slash Heath Ledger slash, who knows, emo. Hot topic. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's there's a lot of directions you can go. So mm-hmm. it, I'd be interested to see what, what, what they can do. But, it, I mean, there's always the... Uh, issue of fan rage is going to be fan rage no matter what you do oh my god there will be fan rage no matter what i mean keen listeners of this show will remember that at one point leonardo dicaprio was rumored for this role and people were like what do you mean leonardo dicaprio and joker that's not going to work like yeah it's going to be fan rage no matter what it doesn't matter who plays him um yeah so uh, it is what it is i guess but interesting and something we'll definitely be following on this show because i can get into some joker casting why not the next story, Rotten Tomatoes issue statement on plot to sabotage Black Panther's audience score. So you know a little bit more about this than I do. I, yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm totally ignorant, but I'm gonna just gonna I'm gonna defer to you on this one. What is this about? Okay, so th- there was some Facebook group uh, that got together and for this whole purpose of like tanking the audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes, which those are reviews that audience members uh, write in. Um, they claim to have done some of this for The Last Jedi, and they had this whole manifesto ab- about how Disney is sabotaging DC films and that they're paying off critics to up their their own properties, and so this is their responses to they're going to trash uh, Black Panther and cra- crash the audience score. Right, so people are going to intentionally trash the audience score on Black Panther. Right, and this it's was a, a, this yeah. was a uh, well. I was just gonna say, you know, they took this seriously, like Rotten Tomatoes did, just to say that, you know, we don't endorse this. This isn't like how this is supposed to work. I mean, they had to take like an official stance on it. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, this is me just being a cynic. I think um, I the audience score is not the first number that comes up on Rotten Tomatoes, no. so it's not exactly like a worthy effort I don't think not to mention um, just wasting your time trying to tank an audience score on a movie why did why would somebody want to tank the Black Panther score or well like I like I said there's they have this idea that they want to tank all the Marvel prop basically all the Disney stuff oh right 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 it's nothing against the the individual property yeah it's, it's Disney Marvel and, Marvel. and Disney as a, as a whole got yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay and um, you know some films I feel are 
affected by scores more than others, and some are completely immune. I mean, Suicide Squad had a, a terrible score, and everyone went and saw it. You know, and I think I read a, I read about um, I guess there was a, someone did a study to see how much a cr- critic reviews have on audience going to see movies, and apparently it's very very little, if not non-existent. Mm-hmm. It's just so petty. Like, I I think we've talked about this before. Um, Studios look at Rotten Tomatoes and they care when they're doing bad, but when they care when they're doing good, too, really. They'll use it as an advertising point or a pain point to complain that their movie didn't do well because Rotten Tomatoes. And that's on them. But at the end of the day, what they care about most is box office sales, whether or not they make money. If you don't like the movie, don't go see it. And if you don't like the movie and you have a legitimate reason for not liking the movie, talk to people about it and maybe you can convince them not to go see it too. But I think everybody's going to go see Black Panther despite the people who are petty enough to try to tank a score because monopolies and properties, I guess. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I guess there's nothing to it, I, I suppose. I, I don't want to... I don't want to say I'm not worried about this. I, it is concerning. This is one of those toxic fandom kind of things we've talked about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was enough to the point that Rotten Tomatoes had to, they felt they needed to issue a statement um, saying that, you know, that they would try to monitor and see, you know, try to compare legitimate reviews to not or something right. like that. But right, they, right, they, right. Were, they, I, were, they were legitimately concerned. And I think those Facebook groups have been taken down since that um, initial whatever post about post about <laughs> the, going after black panther the facebook group give black panther a rotten audience score on rotten tomatoes that was the name <laughs> of the group which set up an event so that those who join can rate the phone with a low score and mass oh that's fantastic yeah i'm, I'm looking at rotten tomatoes uh, statement right now i'm not going to read it because it's very lengthy and wordy but for the most part it's very like we're we're cool uh we expect fans diverse opinions we're not condoning hate speech we're watching out for this. If anything weird happens, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's it's a very corporate kind of response to it, and I respect that. Um, it's a bummer people feel that way. And don't get me wrong. Like, I've got my own issues with Disney uh, taking over the world because I mean, it, it does scare me. That stuff keeps me up at night. But not enough to say I'm not going to go see Black Panther. If sure. I'm not going to go see a movie, it's because I legitimately have some kind of criticism about the movie, like 1517 to Paris. Right. I'm not going to just skip it because like of the, of the, of the people that are putting it out. And that, that means a lot coming from the guy who thinks like, I, I think Sony is terrible. I think Sony puts out as awful, but like I still saw baby driver. I saw baby driver twice. The movie's great. Right. Um, so it is what it is. I guess it's kind of, kind of just petty. I don't know. You have any other thoughts? No, I was going to say we could start a new segment about toxic fandom and they're ridiculous. I mean, there, we <laughs> have so many of these stories almost every week. I feel like if we start doing that, we're going to end up with a toxic fandom following. People who are like, get this show off iTunes. <laughs> they're terrible. Like, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid they're going to sick the dogs on us, but maybe you're right. Uma Thurman is angry. The New York Times put out an op-ed um, with somebody who sat down with Uma Thurman in her home to talk about why Uma Thurman is upset about Harvey Weinstein. This came out um, February, just a while ago, actually. We were off last week, and it came out during then, but we wanted to make sure we covered it here. Andy, I think you read this before I did. Yeah. What, what do you think? What's, what's the angle here? What are we talking about? Well, so the title is, This is Why Uma Thurman is Angry. And a lot of it does have to do with Harvey Weinstein, but that's only about half of, of the issue. So the, fir- the first part of the article... Um, she kind of details a couple of experiences with Harvey Weinstein and how he definitely uh, tried to be inappropriate with her and kind of force himself 
on her and uh, threatened her career, uh, these kind of, kinds of things. And, um, you know, she wasn't, she didn't claim to be sexually assaulted, um, but, you know, he definitely did try to push things in a certain um, direction. Um, so that's a, a big part of, of the article where she's just talking about these experiences, which I think were back around the, the early 2000s. But the, um, the kind of, the other half of the story, and this is what kind of grabbed a lot of my attention was her, apparently she had an, uh, an accident, driving accident, um, on the set of Kill Bill volume two and where she was kind of pressured to do a driving stunt, which she really didn't feel comfortable doing, and Quentin Tarantino really pressured her into it. She did it anyway, and she ended up crashing this kind of old car going about 40 miles an hour, and, you know, she suffered injuries to her neck and to her knee permanently. Um, she has, like, chronic pain uh, this whole time. And so the, the article is, is essentially about abuse, both from, you know, sexual abuse from Harvey Weinstein, but also being abused as an actress um, by her director, Quentin Tarantino. And... Yeah, I had no no idea that this had happened, this crash. And apparently it was kept very tight-lipped. It was not leaked to the media um, at all. And she she threatened to sue, but they also they wouldn't release the footage to her. Um, they said, well, what, Miramax said, we'll release the footage if you sign this thing that says you won't sue us. Because it's pretty... And, and you can watch it. And that's the other, other thing. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty scary stuff because um, the camera's actually behind her. And you see her drive along this, it, it's a dirt road. And so she was basically driving this old shaky car down a dirt road and she didn't really want to do it. And Tarantino said, oh, you know, it's just a straight drive. You'll be fine. And it definitely wasn't a straight drive. And she wasn't, she lost control and crashed into a tree. And because they were filming, you know, there, there's footage and, you know, her, her knees were trapped under the steering, steering wheel. They had to get several crew members to kind of wedge her, um, out of the car, um, so it's pretty scary stuff, and it was just recently released to her after 15 years. She's been trying to get this footage for quite a while, and so this part of the article is just about her, you know her being abused at, as an actor, uh, you know being pressured in to do this stunt that she wasn't equipped to do, and it, it's so stupid in hindsight too because the the camera is filming the back of her head, so there was absolutely no reason that you couldn't have had the stunt double. So it's not it's not like you needed her face. No, you're absolutely right. It's the second half of the... I mean, the first half of the article article is obviously stark. Um, but it's Harvey Weinstein. I don't want to say it's normalized, but, like, we've heard a lot about Harvey Weinstein. A lot, a lot of people are kind of, you know, familiar with him. Uh, the second half of the article, yeah, is exactly what caught me. It's talking about Kill Bill and Quentin Tarantino. Because we know Quentin Tarantino is an auteur. We know he's kind of a spastic director. I get it. Directors can be passionate about film. Um, a lot of people who work in film can be passionate about what they do. It's kind of a work of passion. Um, and we've heard of Tarantino doing some wacky things on set, like choking Diane Kruger for, for Inglorious Bastards. Like, some wacky stuff, okay? This one was really something, though. Yeah, because you get to see this minute 47 second clip that's been unreleased before um, of Uma Thurman driving into this tree and this thing that she very clearly said she didn't want to do. And I understand it's one-sided. We are only hearing one side of the story for anybody who's like, well, maybe, maybe there's a different spin to it. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, like the footage is pretty stark, man. She runs an old car into a tree, like at 40 miles, like it's bad. Um, it's not good, you know? And it's, it's, it's crazy to think that we didn't hear about that. That never made it off set. Nobody ever said anything about that and never went anywhere. Yeah, that's... and and more importantly, that like the director not only 
like put her in that situation, but pushed her into that situation. It's a frightening thing. Yeah, and and I'm a huge fan of Kill Bill. I remember when that came out, like I was nuts about that trailer and that movie, and I could just I was so excited to go see it. Um, and that's a re- actually a real iconic scene. This this um, part where she's in in this the blue car and she does this monologue at the beginning of Kill Bill Volume Two. And the other thing that's interesting is that they had this kind of not romantic relationship, but they were very close. And there were lots of rumors that that they were like an item. But you know, he always said, "Oh no, she's my muse." And muse, and it, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, they came up with the character of the bride together. That that was a collaborative thing. And if you if you um, if you have the soundtrack, I used to have the soundtrack. A CD of the of Kill Bill Volume One, and on the back it's like them two, and they're very like he has his arms around her, and she's smiling. It's this very intimate like looking thing, and it's you know they had this really close relationship, and so for then him to do what he did and pressure her into this thing is just it's really bizarre, and it completely destroyed their relationship. Now she did say that she is she's very thankful that he released this footage because he didn't have to. Um, and he knew that it would be damaging to him if he did, so she was very grateful that he did finally release uh, the footage of the crash. Sure. It's it's just weird. This is just one of those things that comes out of Hollywood, and you're like, this wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. You know, It reminds me of Christian Bale freaking out on that guy on the set of Terminator Salvation, except this one is like way after the fact and actually involved physical harm to somebody, you know? Yeah, it's it's a different kind of level, and it kind of came and went. I don't want to say there's nothing you can do about it, but like it's just it's wild to think this is just coming out after 15 years, and even still, MGM's got her signing like a do not sue clause, you know, just to make sure they're okay. Um, it's frightening to think what we might sacrifice at the expense of art. And you're exactly right. Like the Kill Bill movies are great. Um, well, and um, what I was gonna say is it's that it's just. Um like I said, it's it's an incredible thing that, I don't know, it just all went totally wrong, and man, I kind of lost my train, my train of thought. But it, it, but, but, it, but it does remind me of something else I wanted to mention. Uh, I saw a lot of comments about director John Landis, who apparently actors died on um, one of his movies. And so I looked up this story, and this is horrific. So back in 1982, this director, John Landis, was filming the um, Twilight Zone movie, and he was filming a sequence that was supposed to be a flashback to Vietnam, and there's this sequence where uh, this man is running with two children in his hand, and a helicopter that's close by as part of the film um, lost control and crashed into them, decapitated, decapitated the actor, Vic Morrow, decapitated one of the children, and crushed the other child with the helicopter. Oh, and wow. It, and you can hear they have, you know, there was massive lawsuit. And, I mean, you, all, all the actors and crew members said, yeah, you could hear the director saying, no, go lower, go lower. And what happened is that the helicopter got too close to some of the pyrotechnics, and the pyrotechnics um, sheared off the uh, one of the rotors, or the, the rear rotor on the helicopter, and so it lost control. Well, that's horrifying. Um, and, you, I mean, you can see the footage on you because it was a movie. They were filming it. Sure. Um, and it, it's... And there was tons that he was doing wrong. Like the he told the parents of the kids, "Oh, there's just going to be some noise, and there's actually huge these huge pyrotechnic effects." It was actually really pretty dangerous. Right. Um, so it's it's not the first time that a director has pushed things too far and people have been injured or died from it. 
Right, and unfortunately it won't be the last. I mean, you can look at somebody like Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow, or one that always gets me because it, it's it's just a level of ignorance. It wasn't a matter of, like, knowledgeable intent or anything, is watching uh, the snow falling scene in Wizard of Oz and knowing that's, like, asbestos. They're just raining on people. Like, oh, oh God, gosh. you know, like, not... Oh, wow. That stuff is, like, chilling to watch now, but back then, who knew, you know? And it's it's... It's a wacky thing, man. Film film does this. It has this crazy magic about it, where we're we're archiving uh, reality in an abstract way, uh, and it's a bummer sometimes when that that abstract kind of slips through. I think, and yeah. and and you kind of I, I don't know. I, I don't the, know what I'm saying. The last <laughs> the last thing I, w- I wanted to say. Now I finally remembered is that you know we've heard a lot about you know sexual abuse and harassment in Hollywood, and so. What's interesting about the Uma Thurman article is that she kind of sheds light on a different kind of abuse that can also happen, mm-hmm. you know, putting actors in dangerous situations. Sure. And that's how the article kind of links it from from Weinstein in the way that some of the things he might suggest she would feel like, well, I'm supposed to do this, you know. It's kind of the same way with Quentin Tarantino. He would say to do something and she'd think, well, I'm an actress, right? Like, if I want to make it in Hollywood, I got to do stuff like this. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. So, yeah. The last story, and we are way over on time for news, but I do want to get to this because this is arguably, well, I don't want to say it's the biggest one coming off of why Uma Thurman's mad. Uh, Disney unveils inaugural streaming service launch slate. No R-rated fare. This is in regards to Disney's new streaming service that they've been kind of rumoring over there. I guess it's not a rumor. They kind of announced they're going to do something, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, they've been conducting creative meetings over there. They've got Disney execs together barnstorming this thing. And what they've got right now is the idea for a streaming service with no price point offered. That's important. Uh, with no R-rated films. Those will go on Hulu because Disney now owns a major stake in that after purchasing a large chunk of 20th Century Fox. Uh, they're planning on creating four to five original movies and five TV series for the streaming service. Uh, they will also populate this with their own library of content, films, and television. Andy, what do you think about this? I mean, I think they're gearing up to really take on Netflix. Um, I, I think the other services have tried to chip away, things like Amazon Prime and Hulu, HBO Go. It's, you know, a lot of these studios have stopped licensing their good properties to Netflix and just started their own in an attempt to kind of starve out Netflix, I think. Um, but Net, uh, Disney definitely has the library to do it. They, they have the kid-friendly stuff, and they're going to get a bunch of stuff from 20th Century Fox. And then they're also going to get into the original content. And that's the other thing of the article. They're going to um, launch five new series and five new original movies, including uh, one of the series is going to be a Marvel live action, and one of the other ones is going to be a Star Wars uh, series. Right, they save, mentioned that. Right, it didn't say if it was animated or, or live action, but you know they're they're going to flex these properties and sure. try to really, I, I think, take on Netflix. One of the things that bums me out about Disney as a consumer of their content, from from old to new, from somebody who's watching their stuff back then and is watching it now, the amount of reboots they're doing bums me out, and that's something that's in here. The uh, for the movies, they want to remake Lady and the Tramp for their service. They want to make something called. I, okay, I take it back. I don't know if this is related, but I was going to say Star Girl, which might be related to the Jeff Bridges 1980s film Star Man. I, I don't know. 
Uh, Sword in the Stone is something I want to do, and Three Men and a Baby. Like, those are all movies we've done before, and I I would like to see more coming out at Disney because I know they can do so much original stuff, and I know this platform will be a lot of their old stuff, plus a lot of reboot stuff, and a little bit of new stuff, and that bums me out. But, that being said, we, t- we talked about this the other night, I think Netflix is doomed. I think they're so doomed. (laughs) Disney is taking over the world. They have Marvel. They have Star Wars. They have a chunk of Hulu now, and they're making their own service. Like, Netflix is doomed. What are they going to (laughs) do? What could they possibly do to fight Disney? They're going to put up a fight, I think. Oh, they got to. I think eventually, um, I mean, I can see Disney eventually buying Netflix. You know, I I think their first goal is to compete to take viewers and when they're a weaker company, just buy them and all their, you know, 2 billion viewers or whatever it is. Sure. Which would be wild, frankly. The idea of of all of these starting to fall under one banner. It's crazy to think that Disney might be the company to do it. You know, I remember when Netflix and Hulu, Netflix really started to pick up steam, then Hulu came along and we thought, oh, the big Netflix competitor. And now everybody's got a streaming service. HBO's got one. Amazon's got one. Um, So it's wacky to think that Netflix might be felled by Hulu with help from Big Brother Disney, but um, that's the way it goes, I guess. And I, I, I'm holding out hope for Netflix. I am. I like them. They were the first. Uh, they're, they're the MySpace of streaming services. Um, I'm going to get way out in front and say that. Everybody remember that. <laughs> Netflix is the MySpace of streaming services. They did it first, oh, and no. they may not be. Yeah, I know. They may not be around forever. Um but I, I don't know. I'm pulling for him, I guess. I hope for the best. Uh, but this Disney service sounds killer. All, all they got to do is get the price point right. And I think they'll be set. And yeah. I'll, bet they, I'll bet anything they bundle this with Hulu. Why not? You go with your Hulu subscription, throw in an extra five bucks or something. You get the Disney subscription free. Like, I bet they totally work these in together. Because why wouldn't they? Yeah. And I think the one thing Netflix needs to do, they definitely have to increase the quality of their content. That's been one of their biggest criticisms is just that they have, they have tons of new shows and series and things, but that the quality is not so great. Like they're kind of doing a quantity over quality approach at the moment. So I think they're going to have to really step up uh, with some of their series and original films. And I, I God, looking at this on the TV side, they're saying the inaugural streaming slate includes high school musical, which has already been done. Animated Monsters, Inc. series, already done. Marvel live action, we already know Marvel. And Star Wars, we're like, we already know. You're not like doing anything particularly original, you know? It's, it's So hopefully sure. hopefully they'll do something over there. I'm sure we'll get a Frozen TV series, because why wouldn't we? Um, but for now, it is what it is. We'll keep an eye on this, like all of these other stories. We should move on to the movies. My God, we've been doing <laughs> news for so long. Definitely. We can't take weeks off anymore. We just can't do it. I, I say that now, and I'm going to want to later, but... The first movie, uh, if we do them in the order in which I announced them at the beginning of this podcast, hopefully you're cool with that. We didn't really discuss it. <laughs> That's fine. Right. The first movie we should talk about is Netflix's The Cloverfield Paradox. And you saw this movie just a couple days ago, right? I saw this like the day after it came out because I got crazy night. excited about it. Yeah. The first thing we should talk about with The Cloverfield Paradox is briefly its plot and then how it came out. Because this is yes. one of those movies, almost like Richard Linklater's Boyhood, you need to understand where it's coming from in order to kind of appreciate what it is, I think. For anybody who hasn't seen it, it is on Netflix. It is a film that was originally owned by Paramount, but Netflix scooped it up when it was in post-production. 
Cloverfield Paradox is a movie about a group of scientists set to... You know, it's funny. I realize this has a lot in common with the movie Sunshine, now that I yeah, think about it, by yeah, Danny exactly. Boyle. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't think about I didn't realize that till just now when I'm trying to explain the plot. And I was going to say, it's like Sunshine. Uh, a group of scientists who uh, have come together from all, from all over the world to... What are they, re- restarting the sun, essentially? No, they're trying... They're testing, like... Some sort of energy right, right, source. Right. They have some kind of independent energy source called the Shepard. Yeah, it's they're testing a particle something. accelerator. Yeah, the Shepard accelerator. God, I should have looked up my notes. Uh, and they are um, working well, together to kind of go ahead. Well, I was going to say that. So the reason this is important is apparently Earth is like on the brink of World War Three because of energy. Energy. It's an right. energy crisis. So they're up in space trying to test this particle accelerator to create some sort of infinite source of, of energy. Right. So, so they need to succeed so that earth doesn't fall into world war three and four. Right. That's pretty much our setup. Um, and on, on the ship are, are different representatives from pretty much each continent. Right. I think there's like seven of them. Yeah. Eight of them. Yeah. Um, so different people representing different groups and you kind of work in your own dynamics with what's going on on Earth versus on the ship. It's like a mini, you know, it's like a mini UN almost. Everybody's got their own priorities based on what's happening on Earth. So the Russian guy's pissed at the German guy and vice versa. And the, the Japanese people are like, let's just let's keep chill. Um, so it's all over the place. And, and naturally, having a title like Cloverfield... Things start to go a little awry. Things start to get a little weird, you know? And and that's kind of the movie. And we should talk about the way it's advertised because I think it ties into why I don't want to give too much away about this movie. And this isn't right. a spoiler show, so we won't. Um, but it's an odd movie. Um, the movie... Well, I don't, I don't know. You want to take this one? How, how it was revealed to the world? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd read about this, uh, this film a couple of years ago. And it was originally entitled uh, God Particle which I'll explain a little bit later. But it came out, um, or it was announced during the Super Bowl. There was a Super Bowl commercial for it. But what was crazy is usually, you know, when you see a Super Bowl commercial for a film, it's coming out in the summer or a few months from now. So the TV spot comes out, and it's like, oh, it's going to be available after the Super Bowl in like two hours. Yep. So, I mean, Netflix strikes again with their disruptive marketing. Yep. Once again, Netflix hits it out of the park. And it was so killer for a Cloverfield movie. Because the last two Cloverfield movies have pretty much come out of nowhere. I mean, the first one, I would argue, had the most advertising. The yeah. second one got, like, one trailer, and then it came out a month later. And and that was brilliant. The way they revealed the Clover... What am I? 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. They were, like, at a film festival or something. And everybody sat down for the screening. The director comes out and goes, Oh, and by the way, this is a Cloverfield movie. Start the film. And then it just starts. And everybody's like, Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Cloverfield 2. Great. And this is... Not Cloverfield 3, per se, but it certainly falls within the Cloverfield series. I don't know if I would say it's an anthology series, because I, I ended up stumbling... Loosely connected. Yeah, yeah I, I ended up stumbling onto the subreddit, the Cloverfield subreddit, which is like, if you think the conspiracy theory subreddits are nuts, like, check out the Cloverfield subreddit. Those guys are insane. They're all over the place. Oh, my god. They, they don't know what they're doing. And so they, they, were, they were very much, this is not an anthology series, it's continuum. I don't know. But this movie answers some questions about Cloverfield, and then it brings up some more questions it's got problems i don't know if they're problems of continuity but they're kind of explained in a weird non-explaining way it's tough like it really does hang on to the word paradox um and it kind of leaves you wondering while also answering some things for you i guess first impressions andy what did you think of this movie so i mm, i liked it 
somewhat, I think because I didn't have to pay for it, I liked it a little bit better. Totally. I, I, I feel like it, it felt like an early draft. Like that's how, what I was saying with the script. Like there's a lot of good ideas, but there's just kind of a lot of cliches initially with like the space team and a lot of things that happen. It's like a lot of, you know, the, the space team uh, check boxes. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm a huge science guy and I, I've read a lot about like particle physics and like accelerators and the Higgs boson. And like, so I understand a lot of what they're, they're talking about. Um, so I was on board with it from like a science perspective, but, but it just seemed a little rushed and a little unpolished. Yeah, I felt the same way. Uh, I wanted to go look at who directed it. It's directed by Julius Ona, who is a director from Nigeria. He's done maybe one other movie you know, a movie called The Girl is in Trouble in 2015. I, I didn't see that movie. I don't know it. Otherwise, I don't know anything about it. So this is definitely... It's kind of an experiment. It's, it's let's give this guy a movie and see what he can do. Let's give him a Cloverfield film and see what he's got. And I got to be honest, I did not like it as much as Cloverfield. I definitely didn't like it as much as 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is my favorite. That movie's awesome if you haven't seen it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It was on Netflix. It cost me nothing. And because of Netflix's disruptive marketing tactic, it was cool to watch it. People were on the internet talking about it. So it was like, I need to watch it and like stay in the know. It was water cooler conversation. I came to work the next day and one of the guys I worked with was like, did you watch that movie last night? How was that? Like there was something about it that made me want to see it. And because it cost me nothing except for two hours of my time, I thought it was okay. It was yeah. all right. Did, yeah. did, if I had paid to see it in a theater, I would have a much, much, much more harsh review. But for what it is, it's pretty good. It's not bad. Like it's a sweet little Netflix movie. I I prefer it over Bright, frankly. If I had to pick, um, yeah. It well, it reminded me of Bright in a little bit, a little bit in that it's like there's a lot there. It's just not quite polished highly enough. Like it, it could be a really great film, but they just I don't know if they didn't put in the budget or didn't have the time. There's a lot there. It could be better, but I you know I enjoyed it. Right. We should we should dig into this a little bit more. What I liked about the movie, the thing I liked the most about it is. It, it, it does a very good job of playing to traditional sci-fi tropes to make you expect one thing and then kind of twists it so you don't know what's coming around the corner. Because it's a bunch of people on a ship in space. You're probably thinking movies like Alien. You know, you're thinking, you're thinking movies like um, Sunshine, to, to find another one. Um, and, and things will happen in the movie that, that remind you of those movies but aren't quite there. And, and they have kind of different conclusions. Um, it, you know, an event will happen on the ship that will scare a bunch of people. And, and it's scary in a similar way, but you don't know what's coming next. And it kind of, it does a good job of throwing those curveballs at you. It'll, you know, it, something will happen on the ship and, and you'll, you, you don't expect that. And the characters are just as surprised as you are, which kind of brings you along for the ride, which I thought was well done. I also thought the characters were pretty good, although maybe not fleshed out well enough. Yeah, I felt like I felt like the the cast is actually great. I mean, you have David Oyelowo, who um, Oscar nominated, uh, Zhang Ziyi, who Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons, where I know her from. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, you were totally on the bar on the wall. Um, Daniel Brühl, who's he was in um, Civil War, is sure. uh, where I remember him from. So, I mean, you have a really solid cast. Yeah, and, Chris and O'Dowd. The, I was a fan of him. Yeah, 
and it it and it looks really great. like a lot of the sets and things I think look very impressive and and solid and, and the effects are good but it's just like you said it's just not fleshed out quite enough right it's it's exactly what you said it's a matter of of, of script like they should have had a couple more rounds of looking at it they should have had some editors come in and really cut some stuff out and clean some things up and I know part of the charm of Cloverfield is leaving you wondering is leaving you asking questions. But this one did it in a in a, co- a couple times in a way that wasn't like, it wasn't a good feeling. Like, ooh, man, I can't wait to find out in the next movie. This one's more like, eh, that just kind of felt lazy. Like, you, you didn't answer that because you didn't know how or because you set that up in a way where you couldn't figure out a good way to do it. Um, there's an instance in particular I, I won't mention. We'll talk about it later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't want to give it away. Um, what did, Yeah, what did you think? didn't work about the movie well i felt like it just it couldn't find its tone like i i felt like it was trying to be have suspense and thrills and horror but it wasn't convincing enough in any of those one direction it 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 had a lot of really interesting ideas that could have made for some really great horror some really disturbing images but it just wasn't done enough yeah i i would agree tone is a very big part of it there's 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 a couple moments of like comic relief that just felt so out of place. Yes, yeah, I think you flat, know what I'm talking. Super flat, really flat. Yeah, and it was a bummer um, because you hate to see that in a little movie like this. You know, you want it. To, you want it to come out and be awesome, especially after what Ten Cloverfield Lane was, because that movie like came out of nowhere. Man, that movie was great. Um, yeah, but uh, you're absolutely right. The tone was just odd and spastic. You know, you you transition from one scene that's kind of quiet and chill to something very loud and aggressive, and then right back to quiet and chill again, and it's just all over the place. Um, so it's hard to keep track of that. Also, they they do this intercut kind of technique where they'll intercut with what's going on the ship, with what's happening on Earth, and from the very beginning of the movie, I had an assumption of what was going on, and it turned out like I was wrong, and it would have been better if I had been right. Like the like I I I came up with something that would have been better than what they came up with. I was like, well, that's disappointing. You know, you never, you never want your (laughs) expectation to like be dashed in a bad way, I guess. Yeah. Um, So it's always a problem. If you come up with something better than what you end up seeing on on the screen, which is funny that came up with our next movie and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I guess any, any closing thoughts before we give formal recommendations? I mean, it'll be interesting to see where this loosely related series goes. Um, I, I will say that, you know, if you're a, if you're a science fan, if, you know, you, you fan of like people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, or you, you've read up on some more kind of cutting edge things like dark matter and particle accelerators, I, I think you'll kind of get into, uh, a lot of that side of it. Right. And I, I think so as well. I, there's one more thing I want to mention the, the setting, like the ship, cause that's always a question in sci- you know, sci-fi movies that, well, they're on a ship. How well does that work? pretty well but for the most part like there's a lot of scenes where it just like it doesn't you don't really have a sense of place like i guess you kind of just get lost on it which maybe is part of the point but there's just a lot of scenes in hallways there's a lot of scenes in airlocks i'm like i don't really know where anything is on this ship and it makes it feel kind of fake you know yeah, it's like where am i right it kind of just feels like you're on a set somewhere so that's a bummer but um all of that being said, despite all of that, Andy, would you recommend the Cloverfield Paradox? Yeah, I think it probably would. I mean, especially if you're already if you already own Netflix, it's you know it's going to cost you time. Right. Uh, I I am in the same boat. I, I would recommend it, uh, despite everything I just said about it that was poor. <laughs> um, 
It's exactly that. It costs you nothing. Like, you want something to watch for a couple hours on Netflix? Check it out. You'll probably like it. Like, for, for, for costing you nothing, like, it's kind of a treat. It's funny, when I was in high school, I used to say, when I worked at the movies and I'd get free tickets to any movie I wanted, I used to say it would give me a more, like, pure review of the film because I didn't have to pay the price of admission, so I wasn't bound by, like... <laughs> budgetary restrict. Yeah, I wasn't bound by that. Like, oh, I had to pay eight dollars to get to this stupid movie. No, it's kind of the opposite. If you if it costs you nothing, you're probably gonna enjoy it more. And that's the case of this movie. If you like Cloverfield, if you like sci-fi, check it out. Or if you're just looking for something fun to watch with your, you know, with your significant other or your friends or whatever, like what the hell? Give Cloverfield Paradox a shot. Our next movie. Should we get to this or should we? Which one is it? I I don't remember. Well, I guess we should do we should we should we should go to the trailer park. We should go to the trailer park. That's right. <laughs> the trailer park on our on our depth of cinema segment, uh, the trailer park. So, where? Hold on a second. I got my notes. Hold on. Here it is. Yes, the trailer park. The first first trailer of of, of this. Well, let's re- recap what this segment is. I'm falling apart. Go ahead, please. Take it away from me. Take, <laughs> no, away, the, take away the toys. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> no, so, so the trailer park is our segment where uh, we discuss um, up-and-coming trailers or trailers that have come out for uh, movies for, you know, the summer or or whatever. But it's new trailers for usually for big movies. Right. And being that we're coming up on summer... You know, and right in Oscar season, like we seem to be getting a lot of cool trailers. So we figured maybe there's some time we can take on this show to talk about them. It's not something we're going to do every week. Just every once in a while, if there's some trailers, we should do it. Like I said earlier, we had last week off. So there's been a lot of stuff that's come out. Figure it's worth talking about. First one on the list, Solo, A Star Wars Story. thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. Any thoughts on this, Andy? So I've heard nothing but bad things about this movie. Right. D- like that Disney is writing this off, that the uh, lead actor can't act. They had to hire a, a coach. Um, but man, I really liked the trailer. Like it really grabbed me. I was like, oh, that looks cool. I definitely want to see that. Right. I got to be honest. Didn't do my homework. Haven't watched the trailer. Watch the teaser though, which is one of those things they're doing now, which I, I don't know when they started. but it's like also because a- of the Super Bowl. Right. There's a teaser for a teaser for a trailer, and it's one of three trailers, and there's TV spots. I can't keep track of it anymore. I watched a 45-second teaser. The way I consider it, that's a teaser. But apparently there's like a minute-and-a-half version that I haven't seen. So that's where I'm going wrong. But from what I saw, right, I I got some individual shots of some people. I got a little Lando Calrissian. I got a little Woody Harrelson playing whoever he's playing. It's so far, so okay. And, and I liked the very, very brief glimpse I got of Alden Ehrenreich playing... Ehrenreich, is they saying? Eichenreich? Eichenreich, I think. Eichenreich, yeah, playing... He'll write us in and tell us. <laughs> right, please do. At offscript, <laughs> mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, playing solo, and for what it is, like... Yeah, initial impressions looks okay like everything you know everything passes the smell test i didn't see anything in there that i thought nope that's gonna keep me away from the movie like looks all right so far so there there's more footage in in the trailer because it's obviously longer um you get to see some different characters uh, amelia amelia clark clark from game game of thrones is yes. in it she plays a character called kira uh we get to see chewy we see young lando 
we see some cool vehicles and and uh, costumes and I mean, it's like this looks really cool. And I, I was talking to, with someone during one of my many weekly Star Wars conversations I have with people. As you do. And, and I was thinking, I was like, you know, Star Wars may actually be a little bit more interesting now without like the lightsabers and the in the Jedi at this point. Like we're we're almost kind of overkill on that. So like the the non Jedi stuff looks really cool. Right, just like that, Rage One. <laughs> just like Rage One. That was one of my issues with Rage One. Frankly, is that. The main character is walking around with a crystal that goes in a lightsaber. And she interacts with a guy who used to know a lot about those, right? Donnie Yen's character. Mm-hmm. And is blind, but can basically use the force, but uses a staff anyway. And then you get a little bit of lightsaber on the end, but that's only leading into the next film. Like, I felt like Donnie Yen should have had a lightsaber. I felt like there should have been lightsabers all over that movie. They just danced around not having lightsabers. Whereas Solo, there could genuinely just not be any. And I think that's cool. Like, you, yeah, like you don't have to avoid not having lightsabers. They could just not be any, and that's all right. You know, that's fine. Um, so hopefully that kind of pans out. Yes, Solo, like any of the Star Wars story films, has the opportunity to kind of branch off and be its own little thing, be a story within a bigger universe without having to carry the weight of that universe, like the main saga films do. Hopefully, Solo can pull that off. It is concerning that, that Disney is supposedly writing it off already. Um, that's bad. Um, <laughs> Definitely. But for what it is, yeah, like, it looks okay so far. Maybe that maybe they just, like, put together the most brilliant trailer ever to fool the whole world. Um, but so far, so good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm going to see it. Right. Our next trailer, Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the Mission Impossible series. You know, I've seen every single one in the theater. You know, I saw the first one when I was like 10 or 12 right. or some, something like that. Um, and I really like the last few where they kind of rebooted it with, um, I think it was uh, Ghost Protocol and then Rogue Nation Rogue was Nation. more yep. more recent one. And they're kind of known for these really crazy stunts and because Tom Cruise is crazy and he wants to do his own stunts a lot of times. Yeah. Um, you know, you get the espionage, you get some cool gadgets, you have a nice team. And so we get a lot more of that in this trailer. We get really cool stunts. Uh, we see Simon Pegg is back. Um, Henry Cavill is in it. Um, no Jeremy Renner. We should mention that before we get too far into it. Oh, no, I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah, I heard he was caught up with uh, Marvel stuff, so he's not going to be in this one. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't, I don't know if there's anything to that, but no Jeremy Renner in the trailers. Um, so, so, I mean, I'm excited about it. A lot of cool scenes. Funny enough, the, the most like awesome scene in, in the trailer is a fight scene with Henry Cavill where he's fighting some dudes in the bathroom and just like the way the music is synced in the way, like they make his punches look so hard. Like he's punching oh hard, God. stronger than Superman. Savage. Yeah. Really, really good. He's got the mustache to boot something Superman did not have <laughs> thanks to CGI. Um, yeah. I can't. I need to go back and watch some Justice League clips because I, man, I was one of those people like I, I didn't notice the mustache. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't looking for it, you know. Yeah. Um, but it does look awesome in this movie. He does actually look like a really cool character. I got to be honest, kind of not gonna miss Jeremy Renner. I always just felt like he was supposed to be Tom Cruise's replacement, and Tom Cruise freaked out the last minute. He was like, no, I need to be in all of these because yeah. if I don't, I'm gonna slip out of the limelight. And frankly, Tom Cruise is what 55. Like, he's yeah. pushing 60, man. Like, at some point, the digital de-aging is not going to come through anymore. 
Um, I liked seeing Michelle Monaghan back in this movie. I'm hoping maybe that's a little bit of a step towards Ethan Hunt kind of slipping out of the limelight. Because I yeah. love him to death. I don't want Ethan Hunt to go anywhere. But, like, ha, um, come on. Like, how much longer are we going to do this? Like, we need to maybe get some fresh fresh meat on those bones. Th- this whole, like, thing with, like, 60-year-old action stars is, is just kind of bizarre to me. Like, uh, Liam Neeson, same thing, you know. It's just like, come on, man. Like, can you really move like this? Don't you have to take a nap soon? Like, come right. on. Like, they're making, they're making Tom Cruise look 45. He should look 35. Like, that's the problem, you know. Like, yeah. you can only go so far. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I guess I think of it like, I kind of like Bond, you know, James Bond. Like they didn't have Sean Connery forever. At some point you got to know, you got to move on. Um, hopefully kind of soon with Mission Impossible, but the trailer does look pretty cool. I guess I, I got to be honest. I didn't, I didn't go see, uh, Ghost Nation or uh, Rogue, Rogue Nation, Rogue Nation or Ghost Protocol, uh, in theaters. But I did watch them both like on home video, you know, Netflix or HBO, wherever they came up. Both great. For sitting at home watching a movie on a Friday night, solid entries. Like, good popcorn flicks. Enjoyed them. I think this one will be the same. And Henry, Cav- and Henry Cavill looks awesome. The yeah. next trailer we should discuss, good lord, is so much stuff going on. Uh, yeah. Jurassic World 2. This is a full trailer for Jurassic World. Now, not just a little teaser, which I thought was the full trailer last time. This one shows a little bit more. Andy, what'd you think? Um, so I'll try to be be quick on this because I know we're short on time. Uh, so it looked like it's kind of going in a different direction. Looks to like it's going to have more horror slash suspense than than the previous one did. Uh, I thought the the Jurassic World was really just kind of silly. It didn't capture any of the magic from the original um but this one looks like maybe it's it's kind of going in a better direction yeah i agree i i think i i like that this trailer showed a little bit more plot issues a little bit more like okay here's what's going to happen in the movie a little bit more exposition i have heard some complaints about that uh, i know some people who were like really jazzed to see jurassic world 2 after jurassic world and now they're upset that like they know what's going to happen in the movie like any trailer where you feel like you see too much um, I felt like it was necessary because I watched the trailer for Jurassic World and was like, or Jurassic World Two, and it's like that looks so stupid. Like the one, I think the one we've all seen where they they run off the cliff at the end and then jump and then the like bubble. cuts to black. Yeah, I was like, nope, that, that that doesn't tell me enough about what happens in this movie. I need more. So with this, I appreciate it, but it kind of just looks like the Lost World, right? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know why they keep going back to the island. Like that's nothing is ever justified enough for me when they're like we have to go back do you it's like no there's killer dinosaurs but no we definitely shouldn't be going back for any reason right i i thought the only one that ever handled that okay was was arguably the worst jurassic park 3 um just because it wasn't it didn't it didn't try to like ian malcolm its way into it, it was like oh you got to go back for your girlfriend and your kid or whatever and it wasn't like i i don't know it was, it was money Whatever you want. Here's a blank check to go back. What's it going to take? Yeah. Easy. Like, I, I love it. Like, easy <laughs> motivations. Yeah, like, sure, why not? Um, and I appreciated that. This one, it's rough. And it looks like it's kind of struggling with that. And it's kind of meeting in the middle rather than having, what's his name? Uh, Chris uh, Pratt. The, Chris Pratt's character go back for Owen? Is that his name? 
Owen? Yeah, rings a bell? Sure. Go back for his <laughs> daughter or money. It's some raptor that he raised, right? That's the deal? Something that, that wasn't th- in the first one, so we're retroactively writing that in like that was a real thing. I think we're. I think the overall idea is that the island's going to blow up because of a volcano, and so they, they're trying to save some of these dinosaurs. So stupid. Like, good. Let it blow up. <laughs> Why they've wouldn't already, you? They've been through this once already. <laughs> like, the, yeah, things went haywire. People died. Like, why would you try to save them? Like, no. And if your argument is, oh, well, it's a miracle of science. You can do it again. You did it once. Arguably, you did it twice if you consider Jurassic Park technically existed in the world of Jurassic World. So I don't see what the problem is. I don't think they need to go back. I know a lot of people are excited to see it. We'll probably review it on this show. So <laughs> yeah. I'll go see it. It's fine, I guess. Yeah, the last trailer we need to talk about is Venom. We all have our own problems. Our own issues. And this is a teaser. It's not the whole thing. This was kind of a surprise. Kind of just came out one day. Andy, what did you think of the Venom trailer? So I'm excited for this movie because Tom Hardy's in it, and I love Tom Hardy. And he's Love kind Tom of, Hardy. he kind of like can do no wrong in my eyes at this point. Um, the trailer really didn't show much. A lot of people were complaining that, you know, well, because the, the, you don't really get to see the symbiote. You don't get to see him as Venom. He, he, he does a voiceover and you kind of see him like he's infected with something or he's going through hard times. He does a good like New York accent, some sort of different accent. Um, Tom so Hardy did, doing a weird Tom Hardy voice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was... I felt like it was just trying to show, you know, the tone of, of the film, and it hinted at a, a lot of things. Um, so it didn't really show much, and people were like, oh, it didn't show enough. But I mean, people always complain that they show too much, then you don't show enough, and people are like, well, it didn't show me enough. It's, it's like you can never please uh, the audience. Right. I've got a couple theories on this. Here, Here's my first one. They're not holding back showing us, like, the symbiote because of suspense it's because they haven't like cgi'd it in yet like think about what you saw in that trailer like you I mean, see they just, the they only just cgi it, you yeah. see right the only cgi you see is this black stuff in a bottle essentially that's it like so i don't think they've done it yet like they still have to put it together but they wanted to put out something to get people excited because people are all comic book crazy right now with the movie he's got black panther coming out this week coming up ant-man and the wasp in july avengers infinity war in may Venom's supposed to come out in October, which also, slick release date. Nice moves. Going for a Halloween kind of feel. I can get behind that. Yeah, sure. I'll get my Um, Venom cosplay ready. Points. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think they've done it yet. And they just want to get people excited. And they're like, let's just put something out. It's fine. You know, we'll, we'll, lots of Tom Hardy doing weird things. And we'll, we'll have him freak out an MRI machine and run it fast speed. It'll be great. Uh, So I don't know. I, I, I think it'll be cool. I, I I wasn't particularly impressed by the teaser, but it caught my interest. It teased me, which is exactly what these things are supposed to do. So well, and and I think like you said, I think you nailed it. There, it's not done. Like they no. literally just wrap wrap production or filming like a month ago. Yeah, they haven't done it yet. And 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 this is one of those things. Just like the first, you remember the first trailer for Pirates of the Caribbean Five, one of the most forgettable films in the face of the planet. A movie that is on Netflix, but I haven't watched yet, despite the fact that I could watch it for free. Uh, the first trailer for Pirates 5 came out, and Jack Sparrow wasn't in it. And I thought it was a slick move. I was like, that's awesome. No Jack Sparrow in the Pirates trailer. Cool. You have to go see the movie to find out what he looks like. I would love for them to do that with Venom. They won't. 
We'll get a good we'll get a good look at this thing before the movie comes out in due time. For sure. For Just sure. wait. Yeah, we'll we'll see it. I will be interested to see if they work in Tom Holland's Spider-Man. What is the deal with Sony and Marvel? Do you know like how uh, I mean how they knows. worked all this out? I, I, uh, I, I mean they they have some better. sort of agreement, I mean, to share property. I don't know to, as to what extent. Yeah. I don't really know either, but um, it'll be something, I guess. The movie is directed, or yeah, directed by Ruben Fleischer. Is that you say his name? Mm-hmm. Who directed yeah. Z- Gangster Squad and Zombieland, and is also supposed to be directing Zombieland Two. Whenever that comes out, that'll be awesome. And I think Michelle Williams is also in um, Venom. So she I'm is. excited to yeah. see. Um, Ac- according to Google, I'm looking at right yes. now. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm excited to see her because I mean those are two great actors, Michelle Williams, like she's Oscar Oscar worthy. Tom Hardy, has he won an Oscar yet? He definitely he's he, he should he's he's been nominated. Yeah, I mean, and the man played Bane for Christ's sake. You like <laughs> Michelle Williams? Yeah. Oh what yeah. She, yeah what has she done that was awesome? There's something she did, and I can't remember what it is. Uh, she's in Brokeback Mountain. More recently, Manchester by the Sea. What else? I liked her in Manchester. She's all right, I guess. I wasn't super impressed. Um, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> but nah, I don't worry about it. I'm, I'm, there, there's something she's in my head actor. I'm thinking of, and I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll get around to it. Anyway, we got two more movies to talk about, and not a whole lot of time, so let's get right to it. Uh, the next film we should discuss is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! <laughs> this movie came out, what, last year? Yeah, about a year ago. Right. This was nominated for, well, it's nominated for Best Picture this year. I think it came out, I want to say it came out in like February of last year, like early last year. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it came out and it was a horror movie uh, based kind of on, I don't want to say racial stereotypes, but after watching it, that's kind of how I feel, right? Uh, it's a movie based around the idea of guess who's coming to dinner. A, a, right. a young Caucasian woman invites her black boyfriend to dinner with the family, uh... And, and that's our setup. This guy's nervous about meeting meeting the family, who is primarily white, finds out they don't know that he's black, and the girl says, oh, it's cool, my, my dad would have voted for Obama for a third term if he could have. Um, goes to the house for the weekend, and it turns out there's this big party, and things start to go a little awry, as it were. That's the setup for Get Out. There's a couple things that kind of strike me about this movie, but I'll get to those in a minute. First, Andy... You saw this right around when it came out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a few weeks a- after. So I was initially not real excited about it. Um, you know, I watched the trailer and it just it looked, uh, as I've said before, kind of heavy-handed. Yeah. So I skipped it initially, but then, you know, it it was just getting rave reviews. There were tons made tons of money. There was just all this buzz about it. It was just this brilliant like social satire and, and horror movie. And I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go see this. So I went and saw it with uh, a couple of friends. Um, and yeah, it, it really blew me away on a number of levels. Uh, first of all, the director Jordan Peele is best known as a comedy writer, sketch comedy. Um, so it just kind of out of nowhere. Um, but part of the reason it's so good is that it makes commentary on kind of modern racism, but in a, in a very subtle and kind of subverted way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely and it it goes in different directions than than you think it definitely sets up certain cliches and then kind of overturns them and it just has a lot of brilliant things to say and you know 
we get it. We were talking about this before the show. We get a lot of movies about what I, I kind of call classical racism, where you have like some old redneck who uses the N word a lot. And we get a lot of those kinds of historical movies, but we don't get a lot of <clears throat> more in depth <clears throat> modern movies. And that's what I, th- I think Get Out is so good, is because it kind of tackles modern racism and not just like the. Not just like I'm white and I don't like minorities. It's more like the in- institutionalized racism or the racism that's qu- just quietly held back and not overtly stated because it's not in vogue anymore. I had not seen Get Out when it came out. In fact, I didn't see it up until yesterday. I think it was the first time I watched it. And a big part of the reason is because it was nominated for Best Picture. And I thought we should definitely talk about that because a horror film isn't often nominated for Best Picture, which is nuts. Um, and I, I'm glad that it is. I, I love that it is where it is. I, I wish horror got more kind of credit um, for what it can do. It's an, it's really an incredible film medium, and I'm, I'm glad it's doing well. I can't believe, honestly, in this time, Get Out wasn't spoiled for me. Because I don't know how people can have nuanced conversations about what the film tries to present without spoiling the ending. Because already in what you were saying, there were like three or four things. I was like, oh, yeah, like that one part when this happens. That's a spoiler. So it's weird how I can't talk about certain points in the movie. But like, I, I know exactly what you mean. It does this brilliant thing where I think a lot of horror movies, in order for a horror movie to work, it has to set up pins and then knock them down. And those pins are usually based on your current interpretation of what you think will happen your perception and your assumptions of reality what you assume will happen in in the case of a movie like halloween you assume the babysitter will stay at home and that michael myers will get her while she's watching tv on the couch or making out with her boyfriend right oh no don't turn on the light whatever right (laughs) this does that too just in a different medium it doesn't do it with like the classic babysitter formula it does it with racism and it's fascinating it, it, it uses it like paint on a canvas. Um, everything that happens in this movie, you jump to a conclusion all the time. Like something happens to the main character or somebody says some kind of offhand comment and all you can think is, wow, that was racist. Or was yeah. that racist? Yeah, like, and, it, 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 and it's so it's so subtle. And a lot of it's just about, you know, the kind of uncomfortableness. Like um, what's, what's the main character, the girl's name? Is it Claire? Anyway, Rose. Rose, Rose, that's right. Yeah. So her, her her dad is, like, he's constantly thing, saying things to, like, try to be cool. He's like, always saying, hey, man, uh, or just, like, things. All the time. Just, yeah. yeah, they just make everyone uncomfortable. And it's just, like, it's just showing kind of this really uncomfortable dynamic that, right. that I think a lot of minorities and, and people in the black community can definitely relate to. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and like, like I said, it where a lot of movies are about, like, old redneck racism this is about liberal white racism progressive white racism right and despite the fact that it's told through the eyes of a in in some scenes quite literally through the eyes of a black man um dealing with his black friend rod who works the tsa and his white girlfriend and her white family she's staying with like it it brings you along for that ride you don't feel like you are not a part of it like you feel like you're actively engaging with what he has to deal with which is charming it doesn't consider like the color of your skin it's not like oh if you're white you're not going to enjoy it like no anybody i think can watch this and get something from it yeah, uh, absolutely. at least at least i would hope anybody and anybody um 
generally accepting of other cultures, really, I should say. Uh, it's it's really fascinating how how it does what it does so well. It reminds me of other movies, like because it it sounds like a spoof, like oh, a horror twist on Get Who's Coming to Dinner. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner it reminds me of like Kevin Smith's Tusk, like oh, a horror movie where a guy gets turned into a walrus. Like sounds absurd, but totally works. Um, right. Being a Jordan Peele film, it does also have. Definitely got some comedy worked in, which is fair. I don't think it's too heavy-handed. There's definitely some scenes where I was like, okay, they're, they're laying it on a little thick right now. But for the most part, like, it works pretty well. If anything, I felt like the, the ending to the movie was a little disappointing, only because I thought it might go one way and it didn't, and it's okay. Uh... But that's how it goes. It's it's yeah. It's, uh, the expectations I had built up in my head weren't quite what I wanted them to be. But again, the fact that like nobody spoiled this movie that was nominated for best picture that a lot of people went and saw for is crazy. <laughs> it mean it means something. Yeah, nobody was talking about how hokey the ending was. Nobody was like, oh, that stupid ending. Get out when this happens. Like, no, it all pretty much pans out all right. Like, it's a pretty solid little horror flick for what it is. I I really yeah. enjoyed it. One of the things I did want to talk about before we get to recommendations and final thoughts, um, there was this really clever piece of filmmaking in there. It's a really clever bit of storytelling. Um, Three Billboards did something kind of like this, and I ended up texting you about it after the podcast, and I should have just talked about it when I was honest. I'm doing it now, damn it. Okay. <laughs> There's this really cool thing in the movie when you're introduced to the main character, Chris, and his girlfriend, Rose. At one point, Chris talks on the phone to his buddy, Rod, who works for TSA, and Rod's standing outside the airport smoking a cigarette. And Chris is at home with, he's at his apartment with Rose and you see the apartment and his dog and Rose is on the couch and you see these black and white photographs that Chris takes for, for work or for hobby really in the background. And like you get Chris's apartment, you get Rod. They're in two different places, but you understand what's happening. And then Chris and Rose hop on the road. They go to the house and when they're at the house, uh, Rod calls Chris, Chris picks up the phone and now you get Rod again but he's at Chris's place. He's sitting on the couch. He's got he's got Chris's dog, and he's got Chinese food in front of him. Without telling us, without using dialogue, we learn right. Rod is watching Chris's house while he's gone. Really right. clever. Yeah, you didn't you didn't have to beat it beat us over the head with it. You didn't have to have some kind of throwaway line where Chris is like, "Hey, you're cool with watching my house, right?" Like nothing. Nope. They just, they put the character in a different spot and they expect the audience to come to realize, oh, hey, he's watching his house. Of course, they're friends. Why wouldn't they? Really right. clever. Yeah, really well done. That's that's really, really well thought out, Jordan Peele. So, points. The the last thing I, I wanted to mention, no horror movie is complete without me having to mention some reference to The Shining. Of course. And... and there are what I believe to be a couple of references in here. Uh, towards okay. the very beginning, someone mentions uh, a hedge maze and that they are feel like they're lost in a hedge maze. And I felt like that was a direct reference to The Shining. I could be wrong. Right. I would have Stood to stood up George. in the theater and started cheering. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, later in the film, there's a certain room that very much reminded me of th the room at the end of 2001. That's not oh, the shining, yeah. but, I but know that's exactly that, what you're talking about. Yep. See, yeah, exactly. So I felt like there were a couple of uh, hidden Kubrick references. No, I thought I thought the exact same thing. Like when it cuts to that room, because uh, it cuts to a certain a certain facet of the room that is very reminiscent of the room in 2001, and I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, oh gosh, that 
that looks familiar. Um, I don't know if anybody else would pick up on that in the world. Yeah. Like that's. <laughs> I'm going to when I see Jordan, I'm going to ask him. Right. It was, his, <laughs> ask him about his Kubrickian influences, please do. Andy, what did you think of Get Out? Uh, it's absolutely absolutely brilliant. Highly recommended. Yeah, really good, solid flick. It is on HBO Go. It would be a shame if you missed it. Check it out before the Oscars. Give it a watch. Um, we should also mention Andy. You think it's got a shot at Best Picture? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's an honor to be nominated. Um, and, and like I said, the Oscars are a funny thing. A lot of it's uh, very political and you know, it has to do with how successful a film was as well. That's why Blade Runner 2049 isn't on there. Um, but no, I, I think it'll probably end up going to Dunkirk just cause it's so big and massive in scale. I do need to watch Dunkirk this next week. I... <laughs> I don't think it'll take Best Picture. And it's not for lack of trying. I should clarify. I, I don't think... Get Out isn't lazy. It's not. It's not like there's a bunch of, like, two-shot scenes and a lot of scenes that are just, like, landscape shot. No, the camera is all over the place, this movie. It's it's down low. It's up high. It's on level. It's zoomed in on characters. Like, there's movement. It is not a... It's not, it's not lazy filmmaking. It's well done. I, I really do think that. Um, and it goes to a lot of different places, a lot of environments, lighting, sound. It's a well-put-together movie, and it's a good horror movie. But the deck is stacked thick this year. I mean, it always is, and like you said, it's an honor just to be nominated, but there's some good ones. There, there's some ones I've seen on here that were really, really impressive. And, and while I really enjoyed Get Out, I don't think it's going to take the win. That's just me. No. I'm still pulling for Shape of Water. I haven't seen Dunkirk. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Right. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say, I, I know this is the second time I've said the last thing I'll say. No, 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 please um, uh, There is a, a podcast show called Show Me the Meaning that did an in-depth analysis on Get Out, their most recent episode. So if anyone's interested, I would highly recommend uh, catching that episode. They do about an hour-long discussion into the different symbolism and meaning and philosophy in the movie. It's really great. I do need to check that out. Despite the, despite the fact that we've been gone... Two weeks. Uh, we are coming up on, in just a few minutes, our longest episode ever. And I guess it's okay because we've been gone. But I do want to take just a few more minutes to talk about one movie you saw in theaters. And that is... Oh, God. Uh, Winchester. I, I feel their presence. In the air. In the walls. It has found us. Winchester. So what is Winchester about, Andy? So Winchester is a recent horror movie starring Helen Mirren and uh, Jason Clark. And it's about this house, this mansion in San Jose, California, that is a real house. You can go see it, which was built by uh, Sarah Winchester, which was she was heir to part of the Winchester Rifle Company fortune. And she was crazy. And she... Uh, she built this crazy house that allegedly was built on or construction ran 24 hours a day for like months on end. And she would build things like stairs that went nowhere and false doors and secret rooms. And it was all in an effort to confuse the ghosts that were, she thought allegedly living in the house. Um, so that's the setup. I, the only reason I went and saw this is because uh, some friends of mine were going and I had decided to tag along they didn't tell me they were going to an expensive theater, so I paid fifteen dollars to see the, <laughs> this movie. Ouch! Um, but I had a, I had a good time because I was with friends, and because my expect, expectations were very low. 
Um, but the setup is uh, Jason Clark plays a psychiatrist, and he's been approached by the Winchester company to evaluate Sarah Winchester because she controls a major stake in the company, and so he's supposed to go do a, a psych evaluation on her. So he goes to the house. It's weird. It's creepy. There's a bunch of jump scares, and I, I'm you're, I guess you're supposed to question whether or not you're seeing ghosts or where or she's just losing her mind. But the the film d- never gets that deep. It's just it's it's like a paint by number horror film. There's there's tons of of jump scares, most of which are very cheap. I did get scared at a couple of them, but most of them they're very predictable. You see them coming. Uh, there's a ridiculous, terrible looking CGI all throughout the movie. Jason Clark shoots at a ghost at one point. Awesome. <laughs> just so just think of the logic behind that. He has a semi-tragic backstory that isn't real convincing um yeah it, it was it was really bad <laughs> but yeah. i i had i had a good time only because i was with, with some friends and we laughed through most of it i was gonna say this sounds like a movie that would be best enjoyed in a theater full of people yeah. right it's just because like nobody cares yeah everybody laughs and, and goofs on it and, like that's that's pretty good um the first thing i want to ask about is the exposure of Firearms, Like you said, Jason Clark shoots at a ghost. The movie is called Winchester, based in a house built on the fortune of the Winchester Harris. A lot of guns in this movie? Just, uh, I, I don't even sort know. Of, I sort just, of, off the cuff. I'm just curious. You know, so I, one re- review I, I heard is someone thought it was going to be maybe some sort of, have some sort of anti-firearm message. It definitely doesn't. Um, although she feels guilty for, you know, she thinks the ghosts are coming from people who were killed by rifles. Right, but that's that's and, just that's just set that's up. Just, that's not yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean there there are, but it's just like silliness. Um, she she builds rooms based based on they do that. You know that hard thing where where someone's like in a seance and then draws that that that's kind of become a a, a trope. Uh, yeah, so of she 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 does that and like designs rooms and then those rooms get built. Uh, um, wow! And one of one of them happens to have uh, be like a rifle, a literal uh, rifle room, right? And and this is one of those things, like I, because the Winchester House is a real thing, and like the idea of it is fascinating. And like, you, if you could go visit, I don't know if it's open for tours or anything, but like, it fascinating. Is, yeah. yeah, like the idea of of this giant house with like doors that go nowhere and stairs that go to nothing, like that's intriguing, but that's intriguing to me in like an MC Escher style way. Like it's intriguing because it's odd and unique and weird, almost like an art gallery. It's not intriguing because ghosts and that this <laughs> seems like it would kind of ham fist its ghosts kind of into the plot. And I wanted to ask about that. Does the house seem to have any kind of actual deterrent for keeping ghosts away? How, how does that work? They just hang out in the house or go limited <laughs> to rooms? Can they travel freely? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There's just all these really stupid tropes and horror cliches. They don't make any sense. Uh, like I said, the ghosts are from people who were killed by the different rifles. Um, they just, they kind of show up. They're, like I said, there's lots of jump scares, but they're just out of nowhere. Um, it, it's pretty nonsensical, to be honest. You said the ghosts are killed by... Or, or, or by people who are killed by different rifles. Is there any kind of like indication of that? Can you tell that one guy was shot she, by a shotgun, another shot? No, by no, a no. No, it was just like these. This guy died at the hands of the Winchester re- repeating rifles. Ah, okay, gotcha. Well, that's cool, I guess. Um, after seeing Jason Clark in Mudbound, how did it feel to watch him in this? 
I have only seen him in good movies, so it was kind of heartbreaking. A little bit. Um, there's a yeah. there's in addition to them two, there's the woman's daughter and her son are also in the house, and of course the son does the thing where he he gets possessed and kind of walks around. <laughs> you, you know, it's he's the Danny Torrance of the Winchester Spoiler house. Alert. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, no, it's there, fine. I'm okay with it. There's there's a scene towards the end with with uh, that's like 98% CGI, which is like unbelievably terrible. Like it's unbelievably terrible to the plot. It looks awful. It's just it, it's laughable. Like I was laughing at, that's at this one scene. Like <laughs> yeah, oh my, it was so bad. It's gotta hurt to see Dame Helen Mirren present as well. Um, I don't have much more to ask about this movie, but I am curious. The trailer looks very dark. The, the set looks very dark. Is it easy to figure out? Like, do you kind of just, like like I mentioned with Cloverfield Paradox, do you feel like you kind of get lost in the set or does it just feel lazy? Does it feel it like feels, they actually... It feels lazy. Yeah, because watching the trailer, that's what I A bunch of hallways. Like. Yeah, it's like it just seems kind of like, oh, we just threw a bunch of stuff together. Like, it's fine. Like, it doesn't... It just seems kind of lazy. I was curious if it felt that way as well. Well, and also it, as... Anytime you have a big house, I feel like directors are obligated to look at The Shining and see what they can do to, ah, to, make, to, make, reference, yes. to make reference or, uh, you know, because that movie, you are disoriented in The Shining, but that's the whole point. Like Kubrick, is, he wanted you to not know where you were, really. Right. Um, Go ahead. But so this, I mean, this movie has the same potential to do that to have this man because it's a mansion but you you feel like the whole thing takes place in like two rooms right part of the charm of the shining set design is that you feel disoriented because things look familiar but they look out of place every like setting in the shining whether it be in the kitchen or the giant dining hall a dance hall or the room where jack hangs out and types or the hallways where Danny writes his stuff, that's all familiar. Like, each one looks its own way. They, they, it has a look about it. Yeah. Each set has its own feel. It's the way they connect. That's why right. you feel disoriented. Yeah, you, you don't realize that one opens into another and that this hallway doesn't seem to go anywhere. Like, that's what's clever about it. That's what's great about that. There's a difference between that and just a bunch of dark hallways that you can't tell where anything goes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, how were the music stings? A lot of big jumps at you? Big jump scares? Yeah. Yeah, that'll happen. You got to appreciate those. Get Out was pretty good about it. I think there's only one, and it was pretty It was pretty minor. Like, it, otherwise, it was pretty pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know, good horror to me is all about mood. Um, I was thinking a lot of, about um, It Follows uh, from a couple years ago. Sure. And... That movie, I think, has one jump scare, and it's kind of kind of a false one because you know one of the main characters is just scared by one of the other main characters. You know, it's just like they pop open a door or something. You know, it's not the actual monster or whatever that comes out. Right. Um, but that movie makes you feel so unsettled the whole time because of just the setup of it follows, and you know the music, and there's some real disturbing imagery every now and then, and so it just it puts you on edge the entire time. Mm-hmm. This movie is clearly just like cheap, tripe, yeah, horror, scare, jump, you know, get people to buy tickets. Andy, would you recommend Winchester? No, not at all. Not at all. Not even with friends, not even with a couple of beers. I paid $15 to see it, man. I'm still upset about it. When it rains, it pours. <laughs> well, 
That is a bummer. That just about wraps our show for this week, Offscript Episode 9. Next week, we've got some stuff to see. Andy, you had these. I don't want to steal your thunder. What do you want to see next week? It's going to be a big week. Black Panther is coming out. Hotly anticipated. I already have my tickets. We'll oh, be nice. Seeing it, we'll be seeing it Thursday night. Mine will be a Sunday afternoon show at my local cinema for $6. But either way, it'll be fun. It's opening weekend of a big movie like Black Panther. It'll be great. It's going to yeah. be a bunch of people there. The kids having fun. Like it'll, it'll be fine. I'll get my pop. Well, I won't have popcorn, but I'll get my, I'll get my Diet Coke. And my almonds that I sneak into the theater. <laughs> It'll be great. Right. Support your local cinema. Sneak in food. Um, the other movie you said you wanted to watch was an Amazon Prime flick, Logan Lucky. Yes, yeah, so this was Steven Soderbergh's uh, most recent film. Uh came about, a, about six months ago. It's a heist film in that takes place at uh, during like a NASCAR race. Daniel Craig, um, Adam Driver... Tatum, uh, Channing Tatum, not Tatum Channing, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, right. And it's uh, yeah, Adam Driver, I was going to say. I, I didn't see it, but you you have already seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it. I, right. I really liked it, and I, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing it again. Right. It's coming to Amazon Prime. That seems like a fitting way to check it out. That sounds like a pretty good deal. So, yeah, I think I'll check that out. The other movie I want to see, and I don't know if I can sneak in all three of these uh, in the weekend, but I'll definitely try to go see those too. Christine wants to go see Early Man. The new uh, oh, right. Ar- Ardman stop motion film, which don't get me wrong, I I love stop motion. I do. I I, I have a passion for stop motion film. I love it. Um, but God, that movie's coming out right next to Black Panther. Like, how awful <laughs> is that release? Oh my God, what are they? Do- it's like Kubo and the Two Strings. Didn't that come out right next to something awesome? It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, stop! Like, you're gonna get crushed. So well, yeah, that a movie different demographic, I think. It is going to get demolished. Like it, it is not going to stand a chance. Um, but I, I would like to go check it out. So if I go see it, I'd be, I'd be happy to report on my findings here because I, I, I do love Ardman, Wallace and Cromit. Those are all great. So hopefully it turns into something. Otherwise, I suppose we should do last minute plugs. If you enjoyed this show, if you didn't like it, if you want to tell us what you thought of a movie, if you want to ask us something, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview. Com. You can also find our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, at offscriptfilmreview.com, where you can send us mail at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. We are also on iTunes. Finally, my Hooray. God, it only took <laughs> nine weeks. I finally did it. Andy did not have to pester me that much, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, that's happened. We're also on Spreaker, and I'm looking to expand to a couple other venues in the future and we'll have more about that as those details come with off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper and we are out i guess that's it for episode nine (laughs) all right we'll see you (laughs)